This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so uh, Terry, talk to me about young Terry Pendleton. When did the dream that every kid has of playing professional baseball seem like it could be reality? How old were you when it was real? Well, excuse me, honestly, I... I wasn't, I guess, like most kids growing up playing baseball. Uh, baseball was something to do. It was just the next sport after uh, you got done with basketball as growing up. And my love was basketball. So for me, I really didn't pursue this baseball thing till I was a senior in high school. And at that point, do you start to have people take notice of you? In other words, whether it's Major League Scouts or coaches from colleges, when did they start to peek at you? Well, they really didn't. I was in high school at a 2A school in Southern California, which you figure even at 2A playing some 4A teams and beating them, you figured uh, uh, scouts would take notes and colleges would take notes, but nobody paid attention to us. And I really didn't think I had the talent to, to play baseball until the end of the season when I was named all-league, all-conference, um, all-county, all-Southern California, all these things. MVP, and I, I had no clue that I could play baseball that well. So I started uh, um, trying to really hone in on, on playing baseball, and I ended up going to a junior college because nobody, you know, in Southern California with all those universities, nobody sought uh, to to, to um, give me a scholarship to play baseball for them. That's fascinating to be that much of a late bloomer in, in today's world when everybody's, you know, focused on one sport and you're having kids play travel ball at 11 or 12 so you went and played junior college how much better were you getting there and when did the again the professional dream start to become more real well i, I played junior college ball at oxnard junior college in, in oxnard california and i played i didn't even get to start my freshman year i literally sat on the bench till late in the year when somebody got hurt then i got a chance to play the outfield and i played the outfield there i think i hit two 370 or something there uh, we went to the southern california championships the first year of our junior college team at oxnard college and then the next year, I played at Oxnard College again and hit 280, uh, 380. Excuse me. The next year also, <clears throat> excuse me. And still, I had uh, Michigan State, uh, University of Arkansas, and Fresno State show interest in me. Uh, Michigan State, in all honesty, was way too cold. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas was was really my choice, but they at the last minute dropped me and took a kid from uh, Mount Sac City College, and so I went to Fresno State on a partial scholarship. So eventually you do catch the attention, though, of scouts. You were a seventh-round pick of the Cardinals in 1982. Remind me about what that process was like. Did you know they were interested, and do you remember what the signing bonus was? Oh, yes. It, it, actually, I have to take you through this because I'll never forget it. It was life-changing for me. I'm, I'm glad my dad had wisdom. Just let me say that to you. The scouts showed up at my house. The Cardinals called me and said, hey, we drafted you in the seventh round. Um, and I looked at all these guys that assigned ahead of me. Of course, they were juniors, and – 
uh, you know, $100,000, $90,000, all this money there. So the scout shows up to my door to sign me, and he's at the screen door. <clears throat> and I literally look him in the face, he introduces himself. I look him in the face, and I say, listen, if you're not talking at least five figures, you might as well get in your car and go back home. <laughs> so I hadn't even let him in the screen door yet. <laughs> and uh, my dad goes, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. Come on in, sir. I'm sorry. Come on in and sit down. So um, he sat down. He says, well, um, you know, we don't want to embarrass you with our offer. You know, we understand that you're a college uh, third-team All-American outfielder, but we're talking about making you a second baseman. So we don't know if you can really play the position. And I looked at the scout and I said, listen, you know I could play anywhere on that field except for pitch. I said, you know, I could catch at that. And I said, you know that. So you can go on with whatever you want to say. He says, well, I don't want to embarrass you with our offer. We're going to offer you $2,500. I said, well, thanks for coming by, you know, and I went – I was getting ready to go back in the back room, and my dad stopped me. He says, hold on. He says, well, let me make a phone call. The scout says, let me make a phone call. So he makes a phone call, and he says, oh, we can offer you $3,500, you know. And I said, well, don't hang up, you know, keep talking. <laughs> um, so the scout talked for a little while longer, and he hung up the phone, and he comes to me and says, well, you know, we can offer you $5,000. And I shook the guy's hand, uh, Mr. Florida's hand, and I said, I appreciate it. And I went back in the room. I said, no, thank you. I went back in the room. And my, I heard my dad tell him, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, let me go talk to him. So my dad comes back in the room. He says, listen, son, he says, all you've ever wanted was an opportunity. He says, your opportunity is sitting in there in the living room. You're about to let it walk out the door. He says, you're a senior in college. You don't have any other opportunities. I said, guy just offered you $5,000. He says, you don't, between me, you, and your mom, we don't have $30 between us. How in the world are you going to turn down $5,000? And he said, in, in, in uh, five years, $5,000 may not mean that much to you, but you you're going to let your opportunity walk out the door. So uh, knowing he was right, I had to go back in there and apologize and accept the $5,000 offer. That's fascinating. How about that? How, how things could have changed. Um, where was your first stop after you signed the contract? Johnson City, Tennessee. And nothing against you Tennessee people out there. <laughs> but coming from Southern California to the Tri-City to Johnson City was a rude awakening in 1982 for me. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, how like, surreal was it that now you're doing this as, quote, a, a career? Um, how how good was everybody around you? Did you have that moment where you're like, all right, I, you don't you question how good you are? Or did you, like, pop right away and, and realize you could play at that level? Well, I, I I realized I could play at that level right away. You know, I uh, I did well there. I um, had teammates, my own teammates, gawking about how I played second base. Really, I didn't know how good of a player I was, to be totally honest with you. I knew that when they drafted these kids ahead of me in college, I played against a lot of them. So I knew they weren't better players than I was. That I knew but I didn't know how good I was. So to have my teammates in, in rookie ball gawking about the way I play, and our manager actually was Rich Hacker. He was a guy that actually came and scouted me at Fresno State. And he said the funny thing was when they when they started taking the kids uh, to put them with teams, nobody wanted me. He, he goes, are you kidding me? I'll take this kid right away. So he took me and a guy named Vince Coleman, who, as you guys probably know, Vince Coleman, the way he stole bases was ridiculous. But – uh, I went to rookie ball, did well in rookie ball, and the first week of August, they sent me to high A ball in St. Pete, Florida. Such a great time of year. You're getting out and about. You're enjoying the spring and the summer weather's coming. You also got baseball that you're watching. 
You've got uh, postseason basketball in the way. It's a perfect time to introduce you to our new friends in downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. I've been to the Daily Draft countless times. I love it. We've been there for all kinds of big events. It's the ultimate sports bar experience from their wall-to-wall flat screens, self-serve taps, which are really cool, craft beer, chef-inspired menu items, and I mean enough to fill the whole family or you and your buddies. Great choices, lots of options. Folks, I want you to enjoy catching the big plays during your lunch hour with their wall-to-wall flat screens. You can indulge in their $11 lunch specials between 11.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. And if you're an MVP card holder, you'll receive an exclusive deal. For my listeners, mention Welcome to Matlana. You'll receive a $5 credit towards your MVP card. The Daily Draft is not your father's sports bar. They have so many great opportunities for you, like on Monday. They offer you the Monday's burger and a brew deal. You can indulge in the feature burger of the day and a domestic beer for only 12 bucks all day long. It's the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. You'll love it from the moment you walk through the door. Go check them out today. Downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey, sandwich lovers, today's your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open, Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacey and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. Well, Terry, you, I mean, you signed in June of 82, and you made your Major League debut in July of, of 84, and I want to ask you about that call you got, the, the moment when you found out you were going to the bigs. I'm sure you can remember it like it was yesterday. Who told you, and what was your first, uh, first phone call after that? Well, I left the ballpark, and I, um, I got home. It was about a quarter to one in the morning, and Jim Fergosi was our AAA manager. Jim calls me and says, hey, how you doing, kid? I said, Jim, I'm doing fine. I said, why are you calling me to quarter one asking me how I'm doing? I just left you a half hour ago, you know? Why are you calling me asking me this? He says, well, kid, I, I'm calling to uh, ask you how you're doing because uh, uh, they want you in the show in the morning. I go, what? I said, yeah, they want you in the show in the morning. you got an 8 o'clock plane out and, uh, you know, be ready to play tomorrow. Why? He's already told me you're going to be in the lineup tomorrow night, so get ready. I was I was dumbfounded to be totally honest with you because honestly I didn't know how well I was playing because I had moved to third base and I didn't know how well I was playing third at the triple a level I was hitting 290 something but I didn't know what I was how, how good I was defensively with the St. Louis Cardinals you had to play defense first before you got to the big league so I didn't know how good I was defensively until I read about myself later on in the big leagues about how good I played third in triple a but so I get that call. I hang up the phone. My roommates are Jose Uribe, who ended up with the Giants, oh, sure. shortstop, yep. and Vince Coleman, who was our center fielder at the time, but he ended up in the big leagues playing left field for the Cardinals. 
And I told them, and, and they were like, what? And this is, how are you going to the big leagues? Willie McGee got hurt. How are you going to the big leagues? I should be the next outfielder going to the big leagues. I said, well, from what they told me, Andy Van Slyke's moving to center field because he was playing third, and they're going to put me at third. He goes, all right. So I told them, I said, listen, no matter what happens, I'm going to take the clothes I can take right now, and I'll come back for the rest of my stuff on my off day because I'm not coming back here. Exactly what I told them. So I hung up the phone, and I was engaged to be married. I hung up the phone. I immediately called my fiance who didn't believe me <laughs> and I hung up from her and I called my parents and my dad believed me, but my mom goes, no way. You know, she didn't believe me. And then I called one of my buddies in college, uh, Dan O'Leary, who I, uh, who was my college roommate on the road and told him and they were all, he was fired up, but, uh, I didn't sleep that night. I can honestly tell you that I set up leaning on the headboard of my, of, uh, my bed, um, just thinking about, uh, you know, can you play? I, I really doubted myself then. So what was your first A.B. in the bigs? Who was it against, and how did that uh, debut go? Uh, my first A.B. was against Adley Hamlicker, left-hander from the San Francisco Giants. I singled to right field my first major league at bat. I went three for five that night, and my first major league defensive play was a dive over the third base bag, get up and throw out a catcher at first base was the first play I made. You, and those teams, you mentioned it, Terry. I mean, that, those St. Louis teams, Herzog managing, eventually Vince Coleman would join you, and Ozzy and Willie McGee, and you mentioned Van Slyke was still there at that time. I mean, you guys, you had a ton of talent all over the place. You're in a World Series the next year. Like how, um, I don't want to say daunting, was it? Because you sound like you could fit in right away, but that was a team that was like was on the doorstep of doing some special things. Well, they were, and, and I think our biggest reason why we're that way is because we had leadership who wasn't afraid to tell you what was necessary in order for you to be successful, to make sure you're on the right page with what they were doing. I tell kids now, I said, listen, I said, the leadership I had from Ozzy Smith was special. At times I couldn't understand it, but I understood a little later on that it was special. You know, we went out for early work. Here's a man that won gold gloves after gold gloves, but at 1.30 every day we were on the field early doing early work. And listen, I couldn't walk out behind him on that field to do early work. I had to be sitting on that bench when he walked out there, or I had to be out there on the field waiting on him. If I walked out with him or behind him, I was late. So I had to get my butt out there. So they, they taught me these things as a rookie coming along in order to be successful. These are the things you're going to have to do. And I had to do those things in order to be successful and in order to be a teammate there. What was it like playing for Whitey Herzog? It was special. Whitey, you'd run through a wall for Whitey because Whitey would do – whatever is necessary in order for you to be successful. You know, I remember times where they wanted to trade me and, and uh, people were screaming because my offense wasn't going well, but I was, as Whitey put it, one of the best defensive not if not the best defensive third baseman in the league, that this kid just got married. There's all kind of stuff going on in his life. You guys need to understand these things before you start ripping and ridiculing the young man. Uh, Whitey knew these things. He wanted to know these things. He wanted to know what was going on with you off the field so he could make sure he took care of you on the field. Um, he was he was just a special manager. He let you play the game. And he'd tell you, hey, guys, go play it for the first six innings. He'd say, after six innings, the seventh inning through the ninth, it's on me. I'm handling this. So whatever you guys plan on doing, you need to go get it done in the first six innings so I don't have to get involved in it. Follow the podcast Spark on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Party. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that 
I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online. I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Roads Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Roads Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. Hey, Atlanta, Hudson Mason here. Is a new roof still on your to-do list, but you've been delayed due to rising home service costs? Well, here's a fantastic solution from Accent Roofing Service. Zero down, zero payments, and zero interest for a full year. That's right. You can get your new roof now and start paying next year. Act quickly because Accent's incredible offer of zero, zero, zero with a 12-month deferred payment option for a lifetime roof system isn't going to last long. Contact the Craftsman at Accent Roofing Service today, accentroofingservice.com. I imagine you guys were on some really good teams. You're in the World Series in 85. You're back there again in 87, and there's a nice core together. And I don't want to fast forward too much of this, but take me through the process of free agency after the 1990 season. Who was interested? How much did the Cardinals want you back, and how did the Braves surface? Well, the Cardinals didn't want me back. I beat them in arbitration in the winter of excuse me, the winter of 89. And when I landed to go to spring training in 1990, I, I, I told the person I would never mention his name, but I was met at the airport. And it wasn't intentional because the person was waiting on his wife to get off the plane. It was one of the higher-ups for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he literally told me, shook my hand and said, congratulations for winning your arbitration case, but you do know that this is going to be your last year in a Cardinal uniform because of that. Mm. I said, well, I understand that. You know, they have to do what they have to do. And so uh, that was the end of that. My free agency year that winter, I got the opportunity uh, to uh, the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets were most, I mean, excuse me, the New York Yankees were coming after me hard. There were other teams. I honestly thought I was going to be a Dodger. I'd literally moved everything from St. Louis back to California because I just knew I was going to be a Dodger. But the Dodgers showed no interest. So the, the Braves and the Yankees went after me hard. The um Yankees offered me more years and more money, to be totally honest with you. And, um, you know, I went home, sat down, talked to my wife about it, and the bottom line was this. She says, well, you know, if you go to the Yankees, she's told me, she basically told me, if you go to the Yankees, you're going to be going by yourself, <laughs> just so you know that. So I guess Atlanta was our choice. So that's, that's, 
that's where I ended up going. But I like the choice of Atlanta because of the fact that I played against Atlanta the year before, and I liked their good young pitching, and they had a couple of good players that could really play. You could see that, and you could just see that they were missing a few pieces in order to be better or good. Terry, I remember distinctly, and, and I think you followed up on this during the spring of 91, telling everybody this is not going to be like it was in the old days here of just accepting losing, everything from the field being bad to the defense being bad and pitching, and you made it very clear to your teammates. Did they believe you? I think they did. I really believe they did because, because I, 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 almost, I can't say I showed them, but I told them about themselves, so they had to understand where I was coming from. I had teammates like Ronnie Gann, and, and Steve Avery and Dave Justice, these guys won in the minor leagues. They kicked people's butt in the minor leagues. So they can't, people can't say they were losers. They were winners. They just needed some pieces around them to help them get to the next level. What I did tell them, and you reiterated on that, was that we weren't going to be the Braves of a, of a – we're going to go out here and bust our butt every day to be the best uh, baseball team we could be. We're going to work our butts off individually so we could all come together collectively and be the best baseball team we could possibly be. We were not going to be the Braves of old. And they took to it. They understood where I was coming from. They really did. So you guys, we know how Special 91 became, but nobody sees it as it's going along. Maybe interior, you know, internally you guys kind of saw it, but – you won a ton of late games. I mean, you like anybody who, who ever had that that discussion about the MVP that year. Bonds had a great year. You had a great year, but you had so many big clutch moments late in games. What, what made that team so good at that? From you to everybody else in those late innings, just coming up with a big moment. Well, I think we believed in each other, and I think Bobby allowed us just to go out and play baseball, kind of the same way Whitey Herzog did things. Bobby allowed us to go out and play baseball, and when he needed to take charge, he took charge, but he believed in us too. You could tell he had the fight in him to, to, to believe and trust in what we were doing on the field, and even at times when we were wrong, and Whitey did the same thing, even at times when we were wrong, they got kicked out of ball games knowing that we were wrong, and they tell us later on, hey, you know you were wrong. Yes, I do. But they wanted us as managers to understand that they had our back. So for that, you would run through a wall for them. For that, your teammates, we could literally go in and tell each other, hey, you're not busting your tail down at first base, or you didn't break up that double player. Hey, you got to give us a better effort on this. We were able to tell that to each other and respect the fact that our teammates were trying to help each other get better. And I think that's what made us better. So when it came nut-cutting time at the end of the ballgame where we really needed to do things, we felt like as a group we could go do those things because we had each other's back and we knew what was necessary in order to get those things done, whether it was button the runner over, whether it was hitting and running, making sure I put the ball in play, or whether it was playing solid defense and everybody on that field at that time wanted that ball hit to him in a crucial situation because we worked on it and we practiced hard about, uh, at, at being really good at it. So, Terry, compare if you can, because St. Louis is a great baseball town. Summer pennant races in St. Louis, and you, like I said, played in a lot of important games in two World Series. Compare that to that summer of 91 into the fall. How similar or different was it playing in Atlanta? Well, it was different for me. I mean, fan-wise, I hope the people of Atlanta don't get mad at me because they came on like gangbusters in 91. It was unbelievable to see people come from the states all around us to enjoy what we were doing. The St. Louis fans were always the St. Louis fans. They're great fans. This is the first year that I've really heard about the series booing of their own or anybody else. But in the past, they were always backing you. I mean, they would stand and give standing ovations when other guys on the other team make great plays. They appreciated the game of baseball. Our Atlanta fans are great fans, don't get me wrong, but we saw them coming on as we got good. St. Louis fans would show up if you weren't good or not. They were showing up for that day to hopefully you did something positive. Um, so it was um, 
it was it was really uh, there was some difference to it because of the fact that I was a young buck on the totem pole in in St. Louis in '91. I am the I am the the leader of the ball club now. So now I've now I've got to I've got to go and um, I've got to go and, and lead this ball club and make sure that they understood every day that we had to go out and play to the best of our ability every single day. And when things went bad, especially from from my standpoint, I strike out with the bases loaded or whatever the case may be. I couldn't come back and slam a helmet down or throw a bat down or do any of those things because the whole focus when you're supposed to be a leader, the whole focus is on what you do when things aren't going well. That's when your teammates, that's when the coaching staff, that's when fans look at you when things aren't going well. They want to see your character, what type of person you are. So I had to make sure I was doing all those things because I learned those things when I was in St. Louis. So I had to make sure I was doing those things to let my teammates know that, hey, we still got a good battle going on here. Just because I fail don't mean you guys are going to fail. You know, so we had to make sure, I had to make sure that everybody understood where I was coming from as a team guy and as an unselfish team player. Terry, in retrospect, and, and you guys had a nice mix of vets and young guys, but in the postseason when you played Pittsburgh, to watch Avery and to watch Smoltz and to watch Glavin, these young guys who had never been on that stage before, as you're playing, maybe you don't recognize it. Looking back, do you marvel at how well they handled those moments? It was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. You know, even 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 during the course of the game, you thought that they would get rattled. Okay, here's a situation where okay, we've really got to make a great play here. No, those 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 boys pitched themselves out of situations, and they showed that. Uh, I guess over the course of the year, they truly believed what they could do, and they took the baseball and they took it like they were veterans, as everybody saw. They took it like they were veterans, and I think. As I said earlier in spring training, they were all ready for this. They just had to believe in themselves, and they did at that time. So you guys, uh, you, you beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. You get to a World Series, and we, we all know what that – I mean, that World Series is still epic. And for folks young, you know, who don't remember it, go back and watch every game if you can on YouTube. It was just one dramatic moment after another. But you guys go back to Minnesota with a lead 3-2. to two. Every player has that optimistic feel like you're going to close it out. Um, when Game Six didn't close with the Kirby Puckett home run, was there some doubt for you, or did you still think Game Seven will figure it out? No, no, no. I figured we'd figure it out, even though we had uh, Jack Morse against Smolsey. I felt like we figured it out if our team came out and played like we were capable of playing. Because still to the, to this day, I feel like we're the better team than Minnesota was. They've got the ring, but I feel like we're the better team. Plus, they had the the uh, tenth man, and that wasn't the fans there either. That's all I can tell you about that. Well, you can tell me more because I've talked to your teammates. I've talked to Gann about it. I've talked to Glavin about it. I've talked to a bunch of guys, and they're like, oh, there's no doubt that the elements were being, um, how should we put it, um, messed with. Yeah, yeah, inside that place. How obvious was it to you then? Well, we learned that. I learned that in 87 with the Cardinals. You know, they actually had banners up, and, and when they shift the, the fans into place, the banners would blow certain ways, and Ozzy pointed it out and made and made it uh, brought it to their attention. And the next night we played it, all the banners were down. They took all the banners down, so we couldn't see how the, how the, the banners were blowing. But go back and check the records. I think uh, if you look at the records in St. Louis, I mean, excuse me, in, in Atlanta, we hit a ton of home runs as a team, the Atlanta Braves. In Minnesota, we hit one. I believe it was one. And that's the one I hit out straightaway center field line drive. It didn't get up in the air. 
Um, I believe that's the only home run, unless I'm mistaken. I think that's the only home run we hit in Minnesota with our team, one home run. The the, the play, if you can remember, that Kirby Puckett is famous for jumping up on the plexiglass, sure. Robin, yep. Ron Gant, that ball was absolutely crushed and went nowhere. Kirby Puckett leans out over the plate and hits a changeup, 80 rolls in the left field stands. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Go back and look at the Oh, yeah, I believe. I'm with... Go back and check the record on on how many home runs we hit in Minnesota and how many we hit in a three-game series at our place. Yeah, they took advantage of their home field and maybe you know, pushed the advantage. advantage. Yeah. No doubt. And uh, I believe in 05, the guy retired from there, and I think he admitted the fact that he was <laughs> he was pushing some buttons there. Amazing. Um, so game seven, though, let me ask you about the one moment. Um, you hit the double that looked like it was going to give you guys the lead, and, and when you look up and you don't see 27 rounding third base, talking about Lonnie Smith, was it stunned amazement, or did you like like have a corner out of your eye to see what was going on? When did you figure that out? No, I was stunned. I was I was surprised. I, I shouldn't say stunned. I was surprised because uh, I, I got to second base. I was clapping like, yeah, yeah, one nothing. I look over and Lonnie's standing at third. Um, but I do know how difficult it is there. Uh, when you hit a ball, if you don't see the ball off the bat, Lonnie's not a peek-in guy when he steals a base. So most guys are running, they'll peek in and make sure where the ball's hit. Lonnie doesn't do that. So when you look up to find the ball, everybody say, well, they deked him at second base. No, Lonnie's trying to find the baseball there, and you cannot find the baseball in that place because of the white roof. So he had a hard time finding it. The thing that he probably could have done was picked up Jimmy Williams quicker, and he did not do that. But here's the point. Everybody blames Lonnie for that. We had second and third and nobody out with three, with three, four, five coming up, and we didn't do anything. So it's not a Lonnie Smith thing. It's about all of us, a Braves thing. Yeah, you had the opportunity. So um, when Larkin ends up with the, the game-winning hit in that series – how long in that offseason did it take to get over something like that? Or, I mean, do you ever get over that? No, you don't. It, it stays with you a little bit. It, it, for, for me, let me speak for myself, not for everybody else. As a baseball player and a guy that comes out every day to kick anybody's butt with a different uniform on, it doesn't leave you. It's a, there's a piece that's always going to be there. No matter when it's brought up, it's not a negative I want to kill somebody piece, but it is a – a piece that you know what that that one got away from you really got away from us um so it's uh it's a thing where it still it stays with you when it's mentioned but yeah if you understand the game and how much you had to play uh how good you had to be in order to play the game you understand it unfortunately those things happen yeah Follow the podcast, Spark, on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Party. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, it was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized, why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize, as the consumer, we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates, and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group 
at no cost to you. You want to visit them online, i got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Roads Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. Let's turn off. Uh, 1992, you guys did what's really difficult to get, you know, go back to back, which back in that day just didn't happen very much. You win the NL West again, and then of course the the moment in Game Seven with the with the Cabrera and the Sid Bream moment. Um, I'm sure you've had two or three or four just unbelievable, indelible memories. Where does that one rank? Oh, uh, that was probably at the top of the list. The Sid Bream sliding uh, in the home. I think that's on the top of the list. People ask me about my greatest highlight in baseball. I still think it's the Sid Bream sliding home. <laughs> Uh, because of the fact that I went into the dugout, I started off that inning. I went into the dugout. I said, "Boy, we got three outs. So let's go do this thing." And the funny thing was, I knew in my heart we were going to win that game. People may not believe that, but I knew in my heart we had three outs left. We were going to win that game. And uh, for us, it was excitement. I did not sleep that night. I literally, um, you know, people say, "Well, I got to come down from it." I, I was literally not able to come down from it. I literally walked out at 7 a.m. the next morning and picked up the newspaper and had not been to sleep yet. Yeah, understandable, too, based on the high of that moment. Um, 93, the incredible comeback against the Giants. Uh, what, what point in that summer, if you're being honest, when you said we're 10 and a half back, they're not slowing down, did you go, maybe it's not happening this year? No, no, I knew us. I knew our pitching staff. We got Fred McGriff to add to our offense. I knew there was a chance uh, we could do it, but but what we had to do was what we did, we went into Frisco with a four with uh, four games to play in San Francisco, and we won all four. I knew we had to come out of there with at least three out of four, but we won all four. And and they knew right then. And I'm telling you, after we won game four and walking off that field there, you can look in their eyes when they were heading off that field, knowing that uh oh, they got on their hands. They know we weren't we weren't giving up and walking away from this thing. They knew they were going to have to battle to win that thing. Well, Terry, the cool thing is in, in your time in Atlanta, you were involved in so many just singular incredible moments to be involved in arguably the last great pennant race in baseball history and to come out on top, that's got to be, I mean, in retrospect, as good as it gets. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because people talk about winning 100 games in the season. I'll tell some kids and I'll say, hey, you know what? Uh, the San Francisco Giants won 102 or 103, whatever it was. They won over 100 games and went home. I go, what? What are you talking about? How does that happen? I said, well, in, in, in baseball back in our day, 
there was only one winner. There wasn't a wild card thing. So if the team didn't didn't win the division, you didn't go to the playoffs. So the Giants went home. They could not believe to this day some of these kids can still not believe that. In fact, I believe some of the Giants can't still believe that they went home. 103 wins seems impossible. Uh, you mentioned what it was like playing for Whitey. What was it, uh, comparatively speaking, playing for Bobby? It was the same way. You know, Bobby, Bobby allowed you to go out and play the game. Um, he, he had your back at all times. And he gave you the freedom to, to you know, speak out. Why did he give you that freedom also? But I was a young kid on the total pole and, and couldn't go, couldn't say things to different players um, that might have been necessary to say. Other players had to do that, you know, the leaders that we had there. But he allowed me to lead as a leader. He allowed me to lead. He allowed me to say stuff to kids. He allowed me to say stuff to our players. He allowed me to address things that weren't being done right. And I appreciate that. John Sherholz also. I, you know, we had an incident in spring training that happened. I had to go see one of our players one of our everyday players about it. And they both of them, John Scherholz and Bobby Cox looked at me both and said, Hey, you go handle it. I did. Um, but they allowed us to do that. They allowed us to be a team. They allowed us to police our clubhouse. They never had to worry about anything there because they knew we were going to take care of that as a team. And that's what made us good. Bobby allowed us to play the game and he, he did what he had to do as a manager. And he's really good at it. So what about the, the incident we all remember in Philadelphia? What was it like after you walk off the field when Freeman doesn't, hit a batter, what was Bobby's response either in the clubhouse that day or what was said even as you're heading down the dugout? Well, that was in Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati, I'm uh, sorry, yeah. No, that's all right. Bobby, uh, that was a discussion Bobby and I said we'd never discuss with the with the public, with the reporters and all again. But basically, Bobby was after my rearing about walking out the field, which he, he was entitled to. It was his ball club. And um, I just basically said, you know, Bobby, I'm not going to play behind anybody that's not going to take care of us. So that's the the little gist of it to tell you the truth. Yeah, that's a good way to handle it. Um, yeah. How uh, tough or, you know, you're rooting for your teammates, you played with a bunch of guys, but how was the feeling not being here for 95 when the when the thing finally gets done? Um, I, honestly, I didn't watch a lot of it because, yeah, it hurt, to be totally honest with you. I honestly watched game seven or game six with Dave hit the home mm-hmm. run I watched that whole game. I just felt like after Dave got abused with the media because he made a point um, that he was going to do something special. It's funny because that's Dave Justice, and he did. And I, I figured, excuse me, I figured Tom Glavin would come out and pitch a Tom Glavin game, and he did that also. So I watched the most important game. I was, I was fired up for them. Don't get me wrong. I was fired up because a lot of them were my teammates, and I was fired up and happy that Atlanta Braves had finally put one on the board, but I was disappointed that I wasn't a part of it, no doubt. Well, then you came back in 96, and the Braves looked like, man, I mean, things were setting up with the comeback against the Cardinals and the NLCS to go back-to-back, and then unfortunately the Layritz moment happens, and a lot of your teammates have told me that, that history for them, everything like skewed at that point, and it became about, you know, what, what's the next thing that's going to happen that didn't work out in the postseason? Is that your recollection about 96 as well? Well, I think we were all expecting to win that thing. You go to New York and you win the first two, you're supposed to win. I don't care who you are. You're supposed to win it. You, don't, you come home and don't win a game at home. Um, that's, uh, that's not like the Atlanta Braves and – um, we still felt like even after losing the, the two out of three, I mean, losing the three at home, we could go back to New York and win two more. But uh, um, like I said, New York played better baseball than we did. And it was it was a tough one to swallow, but you had to swallow the fact that they played better. Uh, after your career was done, coming back here as a coach, um, how different was it being on the staff with Bobby? How similar does he treat his coaches to his players? Um, he was the same way with his, his coach. His staff. Bobby treated everybody like they were the most important person um, on the ball club. That was always him, whether it was the last guy on the totem pole or 
the last coach or the bullpen catcher. He treated everybody like they were the most important person he'd ever meet, and I think that's what makes Bobby so special. But coming back as a coach was different. I had to I had to learn to be a coach, so to speak. I'd never been a coach before, and I had to gain the, the hitters' trust. There were a couple of them that trusted in me already, and Andrew Jones and Chipper, these guys knew me, so I had to gain their trust, which made it uh, difficult at times, but uh, at times uh, – you know, I sat back and learned what, what hitters need because I was a hitting coach and how to go about teaching them to get what they needed out of it. So I learned uh, on the fly, so to speak, also. Such a great time of year. You're getting out and about. You're enjoying the spring and the summer weather's coming. You also got baseball that you're watching. You've got uh, postseason basketball in the way. It's a perfect time to introduce you to our new friends in downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. I've been to the Daily Draft countless times. I love it. We've been there for all kinds of big events. It's the ultimate sports bar experience from their wall-to-wall flat screens, self-serve taps, which are really cool, craft beer, chef-inspired menu items, and I mean enough to fill the whole family or you and your buddies. Great choices, lots of options. Folks, I want you to enjoy catching the big plays during your lunch hour with their wall-to-wall flat screens. You can indulge in their $11 lunch specials between 11.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. And if you're an MVP card holder, you'll receive an exclusive deal. For my listeners, mention Welcome to Atlanta. You'll receive a $5 credit towards your MVP card. The Daily Draft is not your father's sports bar. They have so many great opportunities for you, like on Monday. They offer you the Monday's burger and a brew deal. You can indulge in the feature burger of the day and a domestic beer for only 12 bucks all day long. It's the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. You'll love it from the moment you walk through the door. Go check them out today. Downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves' 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. Terry, I'll be honest with you. It's an opinion leads into a question. I I thought you would have been the perfect manager either here or somewhere else after Bobby. Or, and I, I know you had some opportunities other places that maybe didn't materialize. Why do you think it didn't? Well, I can't answer that, honestly. I have no idea. I think I could say what probably hurt my chances were the fact that when Bobby did retire, that Frank Wren never interviewed anybody else. He had hired Freddie in July before Bobby had even retired. And, you know, he'll deny that, but he honestly told on himself in the meeting that he literally hired Freddie before Bobby even retired. Freddie had gotten fired in Florida in June, I believe, and he had hired Freddie already in July and hadn't told anybody. So uh, when the whole thing came down before he was ready for it, too, he had never interviewed any of us for the job. So here's my question to you. If you own the other 29 teams in America and you thought Terry might be a good uh, manager, and then his own team doesn't even give him a sniff or interview or or opportunity at the job after Bobby, then you'd have to think there were some negative things going on with him too, or there's a problem and he can't do it. 
That's I mean, what I would think. It's a, it's a great point. I hate that for you because, like I said, I, I just always thought you had the perfect demeanor, both outwardly and, te- you know, behind the scenes. It's just that's a shame. How much to this day does that still kind of ruffle your feathers that you never got that shot? Well, it does to a certain extent. You know, I'm, I, you know, I have to move on with life and do other things. And uh, But it, it was something that I would have loved the opportunity to do. I just think uh, my time for that uh, probably would have been around that time. But for me, I think it would have been the perfect time to get the opportunity after Bobby. But uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't handed that opportunity. Or I wasn't given the opportunity to interview for that job, so it made it difficult. And I can understand why other general managers wouldn't even give me the time of day when my own team didn't. Terry, two final things for you. How special, in in retrospect, was your time here, coach and player in Atlanta? What did the Brave organization mean to you? Um, it was very special. Player and very very special as a player and very special as a coach. I think the Atlanta Braves are. Um, a very class organization. I think we still have work to do to be the best in baseball. I am uh, still part of the Atlanta Braves. I appreciate everything the Atlanta Braves has done for my family, myself, and the, the fans, and, and you guys as media in Atlanta have done for me and my family. Uh, uh, they're still the Atlanta Braves is still a bigger part. It's still a big part of me and my family. I can tell you that now. I always get fascinated with this answer from guys because you. I think it was it five World Series you played in. Is my math right? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Does it is it an incomplete part of the career that it never happened, or your career was great and it just didn't work out in those series? How do you look back at the World Series being so close? I look at it as something that wasn't completed in my career, something that I would love to have the opportunity. Now, other people can't say that if they've never gone, but I had five opportunities at it, and it was a I, I'd, I'd put it incomplete when it comes to winning a World Series. Absolutely. Uh, but I will say this, there are a lot of people that play this game for a lot of years and never get one opportunity. So I'm uh, very blessed to get five opportunities and hopefully be able to teach and talk to others about the opportunities that I had to hope to, to make them better ball players as they go out. Terry, I know I speak for a lot of folks around here. It was a pleasure to watch you, a pleasure to get to know you through the years, both as the player and the coach, as class of individuals as anybody we've seen. Thanks for sharing some of those stories with us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys. Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast, and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madland. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till 8 in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties don't stop till yeah. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. The fan is ready for Brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.